Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Join with me are my co-host, Joseph. Yellow. And Jehu. Returning to do one of our pitch episodes, I think this is probably, for me, has been the most difficult of ones. We're going to pitch an Indiana Jones movie. Indeed. Uh, what did you guys think? Is this a challenge for you or or not? Well, this it, was definitely a tough nut to crack. It was for a couple reasons. Uh, I, I kind of want to get into kind of like the what makes an Indiana Jones film an Indiana Jones film. Um, but I realized in coming up with things, even though there's only four Indiana Jones films, uh, the format has obviously captured the imagination of many other creators out there and have created several things that are very, very Indiana Jones-esque, just with a different name. Uh, so a lot of the, the kinds of, of stories and places and things that I would want to interact with, it's like, oh yeah, they've already done this in this other thing, but better. Mm. Well, I know for me, the big reason why it was hard to sort of figure out what to do with this is that Indiana Jones was really... And, you know, like Star Wars before, it was a reaction to late 60s and 70s cinema, you know, whereas everything had became sort of dark and anti-heroes and sort of the, the uh, classic movie hero was sort of looked at in a different way. Indiana Jones was really a throwback to, you know, when square-jawed heroes were heroes going on adventures. So, but if you look at the timeline of this, this would pretty much have to be set in about you know, 69 or 70. So you're into the era where that character's almost rebelling again. So it was hard to figure out something to do with him in that time frame. Yeah, I I felt like I had to break the rules of Indiana Jones to make an Indiana Jones movie. Um, I came up with three different pitches and they're all three different, um, pretty different. But two of them, like, I took out the whole, like, mysticism element completely out of it. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, because I just felt like, kind of to what you're saying, Joseph, I feel like it's been ripped off so much at this point Mm -hmm. that could I take the character and do what Casino Royale did to James Bond? Um, Which is, could could that character exist outside of the continuity? And if so, what stories would we want to tell? Whereas Casino Royale is like James Bond in the Jason Bourne era. Uh, I kind of took that same mentality with a couple of my indie pitches. It's such a revered property that it's really hard to, it it seems really difficult to do something that is going to honor it well. And to kind of Jehu, what you're saying still feels like a natural conclusion or next step to the three or four movies, depending how you feel about number four that have come before it. I, I also think before we get into this, you almost have to talk about why number four sucked. Well, uh, yeah, that, that's what I wanted to get into. I, I thought we might establish what Indiana Jones is and then maybe talk about why the fourth one doesn't work as far as what Indiana Jones isn't. I just want to point out that I did watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in preparation for this episode. God bless you. I didn't watch any of these motherfuckers. Was it, was it better than you remembered or was it worse? I found it to be better than I remembered. I think I think the negatives are so bad that it does kind of really weigh the movie down. But I really don't have a problem with eighty percent of that movie. But twenty, the twenty percent I don't like. I really, really, really don't like. Go ahead. I was kind of a defender of this movie when it came out, and I still. I've, I've never watched it again because I don't want to talk myself out of the things I liked about it. <laughs> but there, there, there are a couple elements I, I don't like about it. Uh, I mean, first of all, being that my favorite genre of stories in any format is old men on their last adventure. And I think that was a good chance to do that. But almost him being old in that movie wasn't even a part of the story. They yeah, make one or two sa- jokes about it and then it's gone. 
also, he's the think, same guy. He has no I, yeah. limitations whatsoever. Yeah. Right. Also, I think if if not more capabilities, like surviving a nuclear attack. Right. Even aside from that, I feel like there is a difference between movies of of like you know old guy making his last stand and passing the torch movies, and that was much more of a passing the torch movie. I feel like. Well, and I mean that was another problem is I just think Shia Buff was horrible casting for that part. Also, calling yeah. naming him Mutt was a terrible. Yes. We can get it. We can, that, this is not a Kingdom of the Crystal Skull episode, but <laughs> well, you know. uh, but the things I did like about that one is that you know it it went with okay, this is years later. It's going to be in the fifties, so the things we're going to talk about is things that were like pulpy in the fifties, like you know, Cold War scare, nuclear scare, you know, aliens are coming to get a scare. So I, uh, you know. I liked that aspect. That's fair. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a dead on, Jehu. I also I think bringing back Marion was the right decision. Oh, definitely, and, totally. And I think having Marion's kid be the if you're going to do like you know pass the whip, Marion and his kid if they if they had a secret love child, I buy that, and right. uh, I think that's the right decision to make. It's just, is Shia LaBeouf the right person? And honestly, I probably could be on board with Shia if they, his name wasn't Mutt yep. and we didn't have a Tarzan sequence. Those are the two biggest things that if those don't happen, I'm probably more on board. I, 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 you know, the thing is, I, I'm definitely super on board with Marion coming back. I actually think Marion should have came back for Last Crusade. I think the biggest problem with Last Crusade is there needed to be a second half of the movie romantic interest. And I think it should have been, Marion should have been one of the boys at the end. So I, I do think this is a good, though, this film is a good one to look at, at what distinguishes a good and bad. There are references that play really well, connective tissue, which is not something we've really had in other indie movies right. uh, that play really, really well. Um, but also it's a, such a difficult film all of them are difficult to make because they are all on the verge of cheesiness like the action has to be just realistic enough right if you go too far the other way it just the whole thing just falls apart i was also thinking about so so the 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 things that i come up with as as things that are kind of defining characteristics for these movies is generally not as much uh temple of doom but generally kind of centered around one central like myth-y kind of thing archaeological historical-ish myth that we're, we're delving into. There's usually two to three big locations or set pieces. There is usually a supernatural element to whatever the MacGuffin is, whatever we're seeking. And we find out that, that spirits and, and uh, religious things are okay, but aliens are off the table. Somehow there is a distinct line in the sand there. There's usually a plucky sidekick. There are a lot of, uh, like you say, action sequences that are kind of ridiculous, but not not outside the realm of possibility, just on the far reach of possibility. What else What else do we think is, is a defining characteristic of these movies? See, I, I would say I don't think anything in Raiders of the Lost Ark or Last Crusade is unbelievable. All of it is totally possible. But Temple of Doom, I, I mean, action sequence wise, anything indie does. Right, right. Temple of Doom, there's like, you know, the weird kind of like mousetrap escape scene that short round goes on. And then, of course, almost every action sequence in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it's just zany. Right. Uh, and I think, I think that's, I, and I like Temple of Doom, but I think that's probably why those two movies are considered the lesser is is simply because they for most of the movie up until the last 10 minutes of the first and the third one all of it is believable i would pretty much agree with that even though uh, temple of doom is actually my favorite one i understand mm-hmm. raiders is the best one but i just love temple of doom i mean look the set pieces in temple of doom are arguably the best set pieces the, the whole everything about like the volcano and mine and all that kind of uh bit it's pretty great what and Mullen Ram is a genuinely terrifying villain. For sure. And that's also something I wanted to point out. Are the best villains Nazis? <laughs> I mean, the, the problem with Nazis in these movies is they just become generic Nazis. Like, the Nazis don't yeah. really have individual personalities, and I think that's why I love Mullen Ron so much. But, but that, that being said, of course Nazis are the best villain because no redeeming person finds anything redeeming about Nazis. Yeah, I, I just feel like it leans it leans into your description of of it's going back to this black and white mentality. You're essentially just making the stormtroopers of human beings. 
you, you don't even have to consider whether or not they're good guys or bad guys. They're Nazis. They're obviously bad guys. It's yeah, totally cool that Indiana Jones mun- murders like so many of them because they're Nazis. So on that note, do we want to get into our pitches? Sure. I think I think you should start since you have so many. How many do you have? Yeah, you, I have one and a half. Same here. Okay, right on. I've got one I put a lot of thought in and one that's just like a, you know, real like fast pitch. All right. Well, then I will do my best to go quickly. Uh, but before, the first before one, we start, I, I just want to say, I'm going to go ahead and make a, make a bet that everyone works in short rounds somehow. Oh, gosh, you killed me. You beat me to it. <laughs> I specifically since, did it because I knew one of you guys would. <laughs> since you started with that one, I will I will go with my short round pitch. Okay. So one thing I wanted to do was, like I said, tell like just kind of one off indie stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought about how we could take this property into the future so that it could continue on and maybe not be tied to just Harrison Ford dying in a plane crash. I also thought about we've never actually seen Indy find an archaeological item that isn't A, either stolen or B, locked away in hidden mystery somewhere we don't know. So why is he a famous archaeologist? He has to find <laughs> shit that actually ends up in a museum, right? That's a good uh, point. <laughs> so that I, I went with a real item um, called the Four Phoenix Crown, uh, which is a like a headdress piece of a Chinese emperor. Uh, was found in 1957. Oh, this is all real. So in my movie, Indy would be the one to find it. He'd be 58 years old when he's approached by a man from a Chinese university uh, named Dr. Lee asking for Indy's help for finding the Four Phoenix Crown. Belonged to a, I can't, remember, I can't find the name of the emperor who had it. It was considered the worst emperor in Chinese history. This guy turns out to be a descendant of him and is looking to kind of find his lost tomb and reclaim his great name. Uh, I think this would make a good movie because it would take us to a part that Indiana Jones has never seen before. We could go to like the Gobi Desert, ancient um, Chinese religious and burial sites. Of course, the twist of the movie is that Dr. Lee ends up being short round, a lot older. Uh, oh, uh, the way I did come up with this pitch is short round's real name is Wan Lee, uh, which is the name of the emperor. Uh, oh, that's cool. That basically was the entire pitch itself was short round's name and this guy's name are the exact same. Everything's built around that. The other reason why I think it would work is you can make a whole different, you know, spinoff of short round movies. I mean, he's off doing his own treasure hunting. It would require Indy to be a little bit younger than I think Harrison Ford could probably pull off. So I said Bruce Greenwood. All right. Uh, Simu Liu, who's going to play Shang-Chi in the Marvel movie, he's my, he's my vote for short round. Has, has Bruce Greenwood already played an Indy knockoff? Because it really seems like he should have. I think his, his pike is pretty Indy-esque. But Fair enough. Yeah. That's it. But that's, I mean, I look at that guy and I'm like, that guy could play Indiana Jones. I mean, look, I, I like I like your pitch as a whole, and I like the idea. Obviously, I think we all came up with the idea of if we're going to continue this legacy, let's not tie it to Harrison Ford. Indiana Jones is pretty hard to replicate. Let's do the short round adventures, a little less of an iconic, you know, you, you get to more wiggle room on the specific actor that plays him. That said, when you said the twist is, and you, you said uh, about short round, I thought to myself, oh, is short round going to shoot him? <laughs> Because I'm super <laughs> down with that too. <laughs> it would it would be it would be such a callback to me to, to the very first one with uh, Alfred Molina, like betraying him. Oh yeah, 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 they yeah, find yeah. The treasure. yeah. That's it for my first one. I could do mine. Uh, do this is this is the most thought out ish one. It's still not very thought out. My, I, I'm I'm firmly in. You know, so what era are the original indie set in? Uh, the thirties. 30s. The 30s, yeah, yeah. I think he just lives there forever because I'm not. I'm not trying to recast. I'm not trying to to rework this world. I don't know. I, I I feel like the formula works because the formula works. So I like the idea of of Indy gets a call from a, a an archaeologist friend of his in the Philippines that some recent volcanic activity has unearthed ancient debris that Indy might want to come investigate. Uh, he goes down there investigates looks around and it seems that it's it's full of these materials and metal and all these things that don't make sense for how old it seems to be and goes on a, a dive adventure which this is my first thing i don't know if you can make an exciting dive because i like the idea of 
of him diving for this kind of lost lost country, lost city, whatever, uh, and then finding that the Nazis are also looking for it at the same time. But I don't know if you can shoot that in a cinematic way, but they discover it's a lost city called, I found this out, Lemura, Lemura which is kind of like the Atlantis of the Pacific. Hmm. Uh, and in the course of uncovering this, finds out that, oh yes, there is actually of course, in Atlantis. And so there's a big adventure to cross the globe and beat the Nazis uh, after, you know, underwater action scene, traveling, maybe a speedboat fight scene where Indy's jumping from boat to boat. End up in Morocco, uh, go to like an old temple where you find out that the people who, uh, who run the temple are the last vestiges of a lost civilization. And, you know, there's a, they take them down a tunnel through an, an ancient church and of course, there's a bunch of traps. I forgot to mention, traps are an essential part of an indie movie. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Definitely some traps. And, you know, this whole time we're under the impression that Indy's trying to beat the Nazis there. And the Nazis are looking for the ancient treasures and gold and stuff stored in this lost city. But when he reaches the place, it's, it's a dilapidated ancient city uh, where there's nobody. And there's just this constant labored mechanical whirring sound. And as he's investigating it, as the Nazis appear or whatever, you find out that the Nazis are not there for the gold. They're there for this ancient device that, uh, you know, these ancient civilizations had created to control the water, to keep the cities afloat, and are, want to use this to build larger ships and create, like, uh, you know, tsunamis against the enemies in World War II, I guess. And then there's a big battle. And of course, the only way to solve it is to sink the city. They blow up the machine. Indy floats up on a raft. Somebody makes out. I don't know. That's my basic gist for it. I dig it. I really like how the last act becomes the last act of National Treasure 1. It's not dissimilar. <laughs> Again, there's so many other things that have done. Like National Treasure yeah. is absolutely Indiana Jones for 2000s. <laughs> yeah. No, I dug it, man. That's fun. Okay. I, I mine, you know, I kind of, I kind of already started mine earlier that, you know, I, I really want it to be about Indy's later years and the world changing and maybe sort of leaving him behind. So at this point, it's late 60s, early 70s. He's pretty much done with adventuring. He's mostly just a, um, a, um, a you know, a teacher now. And instead of being the cool teacher that, uh, uh, that students write sex, no sex notes on their eyelids to, he's just kind of an old curmudgeon that everyone <laughs> suffers through. Which is which Harrison Ford can play. You know, that's him in real life. That is him um, in real life, for at least for the last 20 years. No. Also, I should say, uh, th what's going to tie in this, one of the other things I liked in Indiana Jones 4 is uh, that I really want to use in this is the fact that in the war, Indy worked in intelligence. I thought that was, that was dead on for what he would have done during the war. But anyways, I want it to be something that plays with the fact that, you know, where he was the hero at one point, maybe history doesn't necessarily look at him that way anymore. So the adventurer would sort of begin with the CIA showing up and basically, hey, there's this, you know, secret Nazi experiment thing. The, the toughest nut to crack about this part for me is the MacGuffin because I couldn't find an artifact that goes wrong with this. But mm. I wanted them to be, basically, there was Nazis, and somewhere in the jungle, they had almost cracked making golems, making, mm. you know, artificial life. And kind of who I want the villains to be in this, since it is that sort of flip around of, you know, of who the good guy and the bad guy is in American cinema, uh, the CIA is actually the villain. Mm. They're, you know, they're trying to find this thing so they can basically, it would almost be a, a metaphor for how they used heroin in the, in the Vietnam War. It would be, this is something we could monetize to use to overthrow governments, shit like that. But, you know, Indy's not from that time. He's, he's full on. He's sold on. So that's where I feel like Short Round would come in. Short Round would be basically grew up to be Indy. But he also resents Indy because Indy left him behind. You know, because, you know, obviously he wasn't in any of the other ones. So at some point he just drops this kid off somewhere. I already know. I know who I'd want to play short round, uh, an actor named Philip Moon. Are you guys are you guys familiar with him? No. Philip Moon, you would either know as the uh, San Francisco cocksucker from uh, Deadwood or <laughs> the rug pisser from Big Lebowski. Um, but, uh, you know, I, he used to be on soaps. He can actually act. He's not. But the reason I picked him is because he's tall. I think it would be really fun if, if 
short round grew up to be a lot taller than Indy. Since, you know, Harrison Ford, while isn't short, isn't a huge dude, it would be fun if short round was, he was still calling him short round and he's like 6'2". <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, basically, you know, short round would come into the picture and be like, hey, you can't really trust these guys. They're not just guys like you who basically goes and steals uh, steals artifacts from the people belong to them and put them in museums. They want to use them for nefarious purposes. They're basically what you used to fight. They're, they're the Nazis. And, uh, you know, th basically that would be the gist of it. Indiana Jones going on one last adventure, seeing that the world's kind of changed and left him behind, but he also gets to see that, you know, maybe the good thing he did with his life wasn't, you know, the, uh, the artifacts or anything maybe it was this kid he was a good influence on this kid and this kid grew, grew up to be a good guy because of i really like that yeah i do too that's a, that's that's both a really solid indiana jones pitch and a super hurt indiana jones pitch and i liked it <laughs> well i'm gonna do i'm just gonna do one more i'm gonna cut one of them okay. uh this one was my most basic one this was the one that i was like if i'm just gonna make you're just asking me to make one more in it with harrison ford nothing has worked follow the model that's come before i figure since all the odd number ones have a biblical relic in it what other item have they not found other than noah's ark indiana is approached by uh the u.s government he's old as shit now whatever you know however old indy would be and late 60s early 70s still fighting the the russians i actually think the russians made a decent villain in kingdom of the crystal skull i just don't think they were really established well or developed mm. well which you can maybe make an argument neither are the nazis so the soviet union wants to place nuclear weapons on a turkish mountain and the u.s government believes this mountain is the location of noah's ark and if indy can discover it they can public outcry will keep the russians from putting nuclear warheads on the mountain uh but little does he know that what is truly there is some sort of relic artifact um he finds what appears to be noah's ark but also and oddly enough this is weird because it does have to do with controlling water like joseph's pitch <laughs> and the u.s government lying to indiana jones like jehu's pitch <laughs> there is some sort of like staff i didn't think too much of it tablet cloak or whatever that belonged to noah and actually allowed him to control the seas that the the whole story of noah's ark was actually this guy who just possessed this thing that allowed him to control water and uh that's really what the russians are after and that's really what the united states government is after um and so indy feeling kind of betrayed by everyone knowing the only way to prevent it falling in the wrong hands is to sacrifice himself and destroy the item. Uh, I think Harrison Ford would really like this idea because he wants to die in all of his movies. Exactly. <laughs> he, he's, like, he's not content to just let it be, let it just be assumed that his character got old and died. He, you have to see it on screen. <laughs> yep. And I wrote it that way on purpose for him. I like that. He would, he would appreciate that. I do yep. think that is a funny coincidence that you, you kind of took elements from both the other pitches. We're all, we're all, again, it is a formulaic thing. I feel like there's a similar track to work down. Yep. Uh, I should mention, I, I, I got flustered on my own one. One of the things about the Atlantis one is Atlantis is half sunk, and that's what, like, it's not working at, you know, all the way efficiency, so it's just kind of banging up against the African coast several hundred, I don't know, not miles, but, you know, a long way down. Um, but that mm -hmm. they've, they've, they've tunneled from the, the, the outset of, of where the edge of the city into the continent and build like a, a you know, a, a cavern of staircase back up to the, the surface kind of thing. The channel. But, exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, the only other one that I had, uh, which is a half-baked thing, mostly just because I, I, I like the idea of a modern retelling of the Odyssey, but specifically the Odyssey. So uh, I also, like her, had a trouble coming up with a MacGuffin for mine. But I like the idea of Indy working as an archaeologist uh, dig in modern-day Turkey where they've uncovered the, you know, what they think is the, the last artifacts from the fabled Troy from, like, you know, the Trojan War. This is where things get confusing for me because I just want, I really just want, I really just want, again, I want to retrace the steps from, so the, the, the story of Odysseus is, it's the story of him trying to get home after the Trojan War. He goes on all these adventures uh, and at one point finds himself at the mouth of Hades, the underworld. And so I essentially want Indy 
and you know of course the nazis because they're looking for some something of power some artifact whatever that's there um to retrace these steps and kind of find out what about that story is kind of true and what isn't true so like you know, were there really Cyclops? Is there really a witch named Cersei that changes sailors into animals? I kind of like the idea of one, either that happening, where she's like established an island of her own, uh, her own people, and then any visitors that come to the island get transformed into animals, kind of spirited away style. Uh, but I also like the idea that they were just an island of fancy cannibals that ate <laughs> people that came, but not like, you know, not, not like your tribal cannibal, but like, you know, they seem like very civilized people, but suddenly your cabin boy just gets missing and, uh, you know, you've got a, a rare steak in front of you and it looks delicious and uh, it's your cabin boy. Uh, so are we, are we saying like Indy is retracing Odysseus's steps? Correct. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like there, I, I want there to be like a world. I, I, I literally, I, I don't know how many of things because, you know, Odyssey's fucking long. There's a bazillion things. But I like the idea of, of like hitting these kind of mythological places and finding which of what parts of it, you know, where the kernel of truth is, how much of it is true and how much of it is been blown out of proportion by time and by, you know, storytelling and all this kind of stuff. And of course, at the end, they end up at the mouth of hell, which I hope I know we've done the volcano thing before, but volcanoes are a fun big set piece at the end. So I think it should be a big volcano thing. But I still don't know what they're fighting over. But, you know, rough pitch. Uh, It's probably just because the old brother were out there. But if they made that one, I want it to be directed by the Cullens. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing, (laughs) (laughs) J.U. Particularly when you got to the cannibals parts and stuff like this, because this sounds like it could get wacky. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I, I think this is the one to be directed by the Cullens. Uh, And it's, it's, uh, it's so silly that we're ending on this one because it's so short and it's so dumb. Uh, So, uh, (laughs) Uh, This pitch purely comes from the fact that the origins of the Indiana Jones franchise, which is that uh, Steven Spielberg really thought he wanted to direct a uh, James Bond movie. And George Lucas says, hey, instead of doing that, you can probably do some of the same beats out of this idea that I have. So I was thinking maybe the last uh, Harrison Ford Indiana Jones movie could be an Indiana Jones movie inside of a James Bond movie. (laughs) Basically... Basically, someone, you know, some analog from Bond shows up from the British government and says, hey, we got to go get this MacGuffin that we got to fight the Russians or some secret organization from. And basically, it would just be, you know, a lot of Indy looking down on this guy who's, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a sadist and really doesn't treat women great, but also realizes through the through the adventure that oh i've kind of been that same thing i'm a murderer and a thief and you know i've dropped so many women so uh that's basically it that's the whole pitch i like it i also generally like the idea of looking at james bond from like an outsider's perspective like this (laughs) asshole (laughs) (laughs) and you know one of these guys who's never gotten to play bond but really want to could probably probably do it like if you wanted someone to be a smarmy foil for Harrison Ford and also be a James Bond-esque character, maybe that's what you use Tom Hiddleston for. That's what I was just thinking, Tom Hiddleston. I think he'd be perfect yeah. for that foil. Yeah, great choice. Can this just be the reboot of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? For sure. <laughs> it's just like in the 60s, like over the top, like, you know, high 60s bullshit with James Bond and Indiana Jones running around just deflowering women and murdering like you guys know i'm still high on that movie it's my jam i watched it not too long ago and i like the general premise i just hate the execution (laughs) i can i can i can appreciate that criticism i've told you guys what my main problem with that movie is right no tom tom sawyer would not have grown up to be a secret agent he would have grown up to be a con man he should have been a con man they could, yeah. still could have done the same bits with him just as a con me. I do really like the way Sean Connery pronounces Quartermain, though. I really, <laughs> that, gets, that gets me through the movie. And he looks cool as hell. I also yeah. think there's a deleted scene in that movie that would make you feel better, where Tom Sawyer makes a reference to the fact that Huck Finn became like what he is now and got killed in the line of duty. And that's what prompted him to like serious up and join the secret service or whatever he oh, is in that yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense then. Yeah. Yeah. But just out of curiosity before we, we, we jump off this entirely, you know, I, I don't know if, if you guys ran across the same problem that I did, but I was curious if you guys had in your mind, what you think is the best indie story. That's not actually an indie movie. I really thought about indie doing like an America thing, but it felt 
one too close to national treasure mm. uh and then anything by dan brown <laughs> like, super fan like, oh fuck yeah good point god dan not, brown he's just boring indiana jones isn't he? yes yeah and there he has one that's like his national treasure which i feel like the beats really would work for an indie movie i just really i really hate that book like a yeah. whole lot so the lost symbol i think is that i think that one's called the lost symbol it's stupid um but that's the one that i was like when I was like, oh, I should come up with an indie, like, American history pitch, all I kept thinking about was the lost symbol. So that would be my one. I absolutely know I have an answer for this, but I cannot fucking think of it. Uh, to, to me, I think Uncharted 2 is the best Indiana Jones film that's not an Indiana Jones film. Uh, yeah, no, 100%. Un- Uncharted, Uncharted 2 is the same plot as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Right, like, except it's instead, vi- instead of aliens. It's just in a different part of the per- world, but... But the yeah, set, instead the of set, aliens. The set pieces are, are more fun. The train sequence is great. It's an ancient lost city. Uh, you know, and it, and it does that the same thing it always does. It, uh, in this case, it would be Indy searching for the, the largest, what is it, sapphire in the world. And uh, yeah. the, there's, there's a terrorist and his goon searching for the same stone for its immortality properties. And when they get there, they find out the stone is just a giant piece of mystical amber that gives the people seemingly immortality but the cost of their minds uh, leading to a big climactic battle where the bad guy consumes way too much of the amber stuff and turns into a giant hulking maniac and he has has to shoot him a lot with explosives and uh it's just that would be a great movie i would really really dig that i enjoyed the game but i I just feel like that one is the most indie non-indie movie that i could think of yeah, if I took the plot of that movie and I wrote it out on a sheet of paper and I crossed out Nathan Drake and wrote Indiana Jones, India, and put in like Peru or whatever they are in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and took out like a giant gym and just wrote Crystal Skull, it's the same plot. Uh, <laughs> it felt very, it feels very samesy. It, it's the most, it's, those games are themselves Indiana Jonesy. That is the most Indiana Jones. Agreed, yeah, yeah. For the sure. only question I want to ask you guys was if there was one person you could cast to play that's not Harrison Ford. Like if you were going to do a young James Bond type changeover, who would you cast? I just hate this because my whole thing is if we found a young Harrison Ford, we would already have that young Harrison Ford. You know what I'm saying? There's nobody that has that same, like he's, he's got to be cool and be able to play goofy but being goofy has, can never outweigh his coolness and I don't think there's anybody that achieves that oscar isaac fuck it's a good choice that is a good choice you know why because i can see him getting his ass kicked yeah god damn it why would you do that to me you just first off first off you're the one that's like super anti poe is not fucking han solo (laughs) you pull that shit on me fuck you well poe isn't han solo poe is princess leia but i fucking he he bait and switched me is what i'm saying (laughs) i did 100 (laughs) percent No, because I, I mean, really, I, I, you know, the uh, an essential component that we didn't mention of Indiana Jones is he has to get his ass really kicked For and sure. look cool coming back from it. Correct. And Oscar Isaac would be good at that, I think. He uh, also looks very sexy in a leather jacket. Indeed. I was, I was going to say Nathan Fillion, but I hate people who would say Nathan Fillion, so I'm going yeah. with Oscar Isaac, too. Yeah, no, you, that's the right choice. You've, you've, yeah. you've nailed it in one. Yeah. All right, we can move on now. All right, well, that's our pitches for Indiana Jones. If you guys, our listeners, have any ideas for any other Indiana Jones film stories, uh, mystical places or artifacts you'd like to see him collect, or if there are, uh, you know, other properties, you know, national treasures, tomb raiders, those sort of things that uh, we overlooked that you think are, are as good or better than, than some of the Indiana Jones stories we've had, uh, send them in at realfunnies.gmail.com. Uh, but I think that's it for Indy. What have we been watching these past two weeks, guys? All right, I'm going to do my best to go through these as Lays quickly through as them. possible. I continued New Girl and Doctor Who. I'm very close with both. Like maybe two more weeks and I am, I'm ready to be done. I love Doctor Who and I, I've really enjoyed New Girl, but it's all gotten very samesy. Yep. Uh, I watched The Promised Neverland. Yeah! That shit's dope. I did not love like the first eight episodes. But God, like those last three episodes, it ends real strong. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, it's it's pretty good. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's pretty uh, also, great all the way around. But, you know, I, I get that. Uh, I, I always pitch it to people as like Death Note, but without the cynicism. It's it's pretty dark. I mean, 
at one point a kid threatens to kill himself. Oh, no, he's like 12. For sure it's dark, but it's, it's, it's like there's always a hopefulness to it. There, there always that's feel fair. Like there's that beacon of light that's attainable. Also, yeah, also it, both the opening songs and the closing songs are bops. Yeah, no, they, I, every time I watched both of them. Um, <laughs> and it's a quick watch. It's only one season. It's 12 episodes. They're 20 minutes long. You can knock it out in like a day. Um, I watched Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah. Uh, and as so far of my rewatch of Ghibli movies, that's been my least favorite. It's huh. still pretty good, but yeah, I don't love it. I thought that might make uh, you different as a parent. I guess it does in a way, but... I also, I do, I will say this. I like the American voice cast. Phil Hartman and Kristen Dunst, that's a great combo. It was just nice to hear Phil Hartman. To spend yeah. two hours with his voice was, was nice. I watched, I didn't know why. I have no reason why I decided to rewatch this movie, but I rewatched Suicide Squad for the uh-huh. first time. <laughs> Man, it's really, that third act is so freaking terrible. Mm-hmm. And not that the rest of the movie is good, but the rest of the movie's pretty okay. But God, that third act just kills all momentum. The first like 30 minutes where it's just Amanda Waller like getting tasked for a sex together, I'm all in. I enjoy all of those characters. She's great. Viola Davis uh, crushes it. Um, all of that's real fun. But yeah, when they get into the city and, and Joel Kinnaman is just so freaking yeah. terrible. I, stop trying to make Joel Kinnaman a thing. For really, I really, think they did. I yeah, they, they did. That's, that's a fair point. Uh, yeah, I think bar scene on is is there's there's no nothing redeeming from that point on. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly what I was gonna say. Bar scene on is just it's it's gross. Yep. Why is Scott Eastwood like such a minor character in that movie? Why is Scott Eastwood also an actor? That dude cannot act. I just feel like he deserves more than what that movie gives him. Like it's I mean, not like he's some no name guy. That's true. And, I'd replace I'd replace Joel Kinnaman with Scott Eastwood. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he would make a better Rick Flag, particularly the Rick Flag that they wanted him to be in this movie, which was kind of the ass end of the jokes. Yes, agreed. Yep. I like it. I watched Netflix's latest two releases, uh, Transformers: War of Cybertron Part One, I guess. So I, it seems like there's three parts, but. It's also like a season of shows, so I don't know if it's like three movies. They cut down into six episodes. Um, it's okay. It's it's very Gen 1-y, so if you like Gen 1 Transformers, then this is probably up your alley, but it's kind of lacking. It's just about how Bumblebee becomes an Autobot. You know, it's got very familiar things in it. Uh, the AllSpark. Megatron is a big gun. Um, <laughs> it's all on Cybertron, which is uh, an improvement over a lot of Transformers things we've gotten in the past. Uh, it is kind of kitty. I think it's more childish than they advertised it to be. Um, the other thing I would say is all the Decepticons sound like Starscream. <laughs> and when you have it, it um, like a major plot point is a couple of the Decepticons like revolt against Megatron and switch to be an Autobots. But it's just really hard to take them seriously when they're just like, you know, trying to be like, we'll, we'll give you cover Optimus go on in. And, but they sound like Starscream who you've heard for 30 years, try to murder this character. <laughs> right. It's okay. I watched some of this too. And, I really didn't like that most of the voice acting was just imitations of the old voice acting. Yeah, uh, the Optimus I, is terrible. Yeah, and uh, I, I can, I, you know, I'm, I'm still going to give it better than Transformers, but I can sum up my problem with it in like one sentence. Uh, Bumblebee is Luke Skywalker. He's not Han Solo. Yeah. And this, the whole plot of this is built around the idea of, uh, of Bumblebee being kind of, I'm a cool Han Solo. I don't really care about shit. And it just doesn't work for me that character i don't think i can totally see that uh bumblebee was the most annoying part and Mm. like the plot kind of revolves around him yeah uh and then finally i watched the umbrella academy uh i had watched half of the first season last year and like one day i binged like the first five episodes and then i never felt the need to go back and finish it but with season two out i decided i'm gonna start over i'm gonna do the whole thing so i watched both seasons of umbrella academy um I this should be something that I love. Right. Like it is a it's made up of a million things that scream Christian Jones. Uh Netflix gives it like a 99.9% recommended watch for me. Right. Uh 
but I just, I just, I can't stand any of them that are not Klaus. Like Klaus is the only one that I enjoy watching. Everyone else is an asshole and it's, it's okay. I will continue. It ends on a pretty fun cliffhanger. Um, season two does have a dead South song and I love that band. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, I would say it's better than transformers. You just, it takes the, the non likable, main character and then it gives you six of them and it's just it's just it's hard to sit through Uh, yeah i watched everything but the very last episode of this i'm down to the very last one but i liked it a lot more than you but klaus is definitely the best part yeah that that guy's my pick for the next joker whenever they get around to doing a a batman movie with joker but um i yeah uh, i keep almost clicking on it because i i I like uh robert sheen was in um Misfits. misfits Yeah. Uh, and I fucking love him. I, well, I, I say I love Misfits. I love him in Misfits. Uh, and it's almost enough to make me start watching, but so far it still hasn't been. That's it. That's all I've watched. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I was down to, I, I knew I was only going to talk about one thing and I was down to, I was either going to talk about a thing that people want to hear about or just talk about a thing that I want to hear about. And, uh, and since you already mentioned the Umbrella Academy, I'm going to have to go with me. So uh, (laughs) instead of content that anyone wants to hear about, I'm going to talk about an episode of Gunsmoke I watched this week. (laughs) Um, So so just to be clear, I'm not, I am old, but I'm not 100 fucking years old. I don't just sit around watching Gunsmoke. Um, (laughs) Evidence uh, to the contrary, of course. But I had worker men in my house. And I couldn't do my usual watching soap operas on YouTube because not that I'm worried about they're going to question my manhood. I'm long, long beyond that. I just, it seemed like something that would start a conversation. And I never want to start a conversation. So I, I tried putting on the Tosh channel, but like the very first word was fingering. So I was like, no, not going to do that. So then I just turned on TV land and there was an episode of Gunsmoke. Now, anyone not familiar with Gunsmoke for a long time it was the longest running television show of all time it got surpassed by The Simpsons so then it became the longest running hour-long live action tv show of all time and then in a victory for people who love rape it got uh uh, surpassed by Lawner SVU uh as being the longest hour long so now I don't think it holds any record but it's still a show that lasted 20 fucking seasons and uh during most of its time, its main rival was Bonanza for, you know, because during this era, like Western TV shows ruled the world. There was just so fucking many of them. But the, the big two was Gunsmoke and Bonanza. My favorite's The Big Valley, but I won't get into that. Bonanza ran 17 seasons, I but about halfway through, one of the sons on it, uh, Adam Cartwright, played, played by Pernell Roberts, uh, you know, uh, leaves the show. So, uh, that is all set up for this episode. So I'm watching this episode, and the guest star is fucking Pernell Roberts. Now, to me, that seemed like probably at the time it was probably a big fucking deal that they had a former star from their biggest rival on the show. So I immediately wanted to know everything about this because it seemed like if they had podcasts in 1967 when this came <laughs> out, they would have talked about this at the time. So I, I look it up on, uh, on, on uh, IMDb, and there's fucking zero trivia about the episode, which drives me nuts. So I decide I'm going to look at the customer reviews. And I found this one, and I just want to know this person so badly. Like, he's one of us just from a long time ago. I'm going I'm to read this guy's review. Okay, first of all, one star out of ten. The, the title of the review... Colonel Roberts is a fat fail. <laughs> Just as context, pausing for a second for context, this is an episode that's over 40 years old, and Colonel Roberts has been dead for 10 years when he wrote this review in 2019. And he was angry enough about it to start it with the sentence. Colonel Roberts is a fat fail. Okay, continue. Can't stand alumni of Bonanza, and I double can't stand the homely Jacqueline Scott. Holy shit. Pausing again. The, <laughs> the name of this episode was Stranger in Town. How they've got 13 seasons without already having an episode named that, when it's literally the plot to every episode of Gunsmoke, is beyond me. But uh, Pernell Roberts plays a gunfighter who comes back to find his ex-wife 
who has a son, and she's played by an actress playing Jacqueline Scott. And apparently this guy has a, has a perceived personal rivalry with her. Continually. Why is Jacqueline Scott always the wife of way, wayward cowpokes and jailbirds? She's back at it hard again this episode. Her coal black dead eyes. I just don't <laughs> like this woman. I, and she always has a yelling scene, browbeating the seasonal itinerant man. The only redeeming thing about this episode is R.G. Armstrong. He was a charming Southern. R.G. Armstrong is not that great in this episode. He's kind of <laughs> boring. But uh, I just, I want to know this person so bad because I think he's patient zero. I mean, it's I quite possible. <laughs> I think he's the first guy who, like, when everybody else wanted to talk about sports and politics, it's like, man, I just want to talk about the various guest stars of all these shitty Western TV shows I watch. Can we do that? So, anyways, that was, that's what I got for this week. I love it. That's incredible. That was a beautiful deep dive. Thank you, Hurd. <laughs> well, mine are, are not nearly as obscure. I'm still on my Ghibli kick. Uh, I, the two I watched the last two weeks are Ponyo and Whisper of the Heart. Ponyo's Miyazaki's take on the Little Mermaid story and Whisper of the Heart's kind of like a mostly just a straightforward like uh, teenage love story with a little bit of fantasticaliness to it. Uh, they're both fine. Uh, they're both better than Transformers, but there's a reason that they're not listed along with you know Totoro and Kiki's and Howl's Moving Castle and all that. But uh, I rewatched Hamilton with the wife. I've I've realized my issue with Leslie Odom Jr. is his body. I like the way his face emotes, but his body doesn't do the anything right. Um, but uh, you know, overall, super enjoyable. I, I'm uh, I've I've had a renaissance. I had already been listening to it too much, but now I'm extra listening to it too much again. I for no reason decided to just rewatch all of the Harry Potter movies, uh, which is definitely a conversation for another day because I don't have time for all of my thoughts. But I'm currently on uh, Harry Potter, the one where Harry and Hermione have sex in the tent. Uh, and they 100% have sex in that tent. They have so much sex in that tent. <laughs> that, that tent stinks of sex. <laughs> uh, you walk into that tent and you're like, somebody's been <laughs> fucking. That's exactly what Ron does. Everyone yeah, gets does. mad at him. <laughs> but that's 100% what It smells like sex and candy in here. I'm getting the fuck out. When we do our Harry Potter episode, we'll talk more about this, but I've never agreed with you more about anything than this, Joseph. They 100% get it on. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about, surprisingly, they added it. Uh, DC is slowly moving over their uh, original exclusive content from their streaming service to HBO Max. And they recently put up the uh, uh, Harley Quinn animated series. I also started this, but I didn't talk about it. Oh, I really want to watch this. So. I, I watched both seasons. Uh, Dude, you powered through. I really liked it. <laughs> I, I would say I, I didn't care for the first episode so much, but I, I like knew they were trying to grab a certain demographic. It's definitely like it's going for Deadpool, but with less toxic masculinity. Like that's the vibe they're shooting for. But the voice cast is just incredible. Uh, they have uh, Kaylee Cuoco from uh, Big Bang Theory as Harley Quinn. Lake Bell is Poison Ivy, who fucking crushes it. Lake Bell is a fucking treasure in this show. Uh, Alan Tudyk, who's Clayface and the Joker. Ron Funches, Tony Hale, uh, Jason Alexander. Dietrich Bader is Batman. Christopher Maloney is like an unhinged Commissioner Gordon. J.B. Smoove, Jim Rash. I mean, like, I could just keep doing this, but there's just a crazy number of, like, great voice cast in this i think i think it it threads a difficult needle pretty well um it's hard to have a like you know this kind of irreverent anti-hero character as your main character and still like hit emotional beats over the course of a series and i think they mostly accomplish it in this series by kind of making her less of an anti-hero more of just i do what i want kind of thing but in general, I, I think it does a pretty good job. Like, I, I think, uh, like, you know, comparatively, I think that was my big problem with both of the Deadpool movies is there's, there's the point in those movies where it stops being funny and they try and, and get you to feel things about them, but you can't because at the whole time up to this point, Deadpool hasn't given one shit about anything. Right. Um, and it, it's really hard to, like, buy into these emotional stakes. Whereas in this one, like, I don't know, like, the, the relationships, I think, are a lot stronger. And so you can still have, like, you know, just, just rampant violence and biting people's heads off and all this kind of stuff. Um, and still have, like, 
emotional beats between friends and, and like, you know, the Joker and Harley and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's pretty good. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think it's better than Transformers. I want to see another season. I definitely, I, I was so opposed to this when I heard it was coming and, uh, and everything I hear about it's winning me over. So I really want to watch it. What's it on? HBO Max. Right on. Yeah. The only thing Joseph and I watch anymore. I need to email HBO and see if they'll sponsor us because we're just doing it anyway. <laughs> I, was say, I better get on it or I'm going to have to quit the podcast because I, I don't know half the things you guys are watching. I am, it has the best catalog. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I am interested to know out of curiosity the, the, the people who are, I say people, the specific type of male that you know that is an adult that is super mm-hmm. into Deadpool, uh, how they will feel about this show because that guy super loves Harley Quinn, really wants his girlfriend to love Harley Quinn. Uh, right. But, but uh, you know, this show is like, you know, it's, it's pretty like female girl power. It doesn't like, I mean, sometimes it beats you over the head with it, but not in a way like it, 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 it's in a way that feels generally pretty authentic. Right. Uh, the, one of the main characters is Kite Man. And Kite Man is every single man on the planet, and he's great. <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious to know, like, I feel like a Harley Quinn show is shooting for that demographic, but I don't know that all that demographic's going to be cool with this show. See how right. it goes. But I think it's worth a watch. Cool. Uh, do we have any plans for next week? Uh, no, we could do our Harry Potter one. We have to do, you know, however many. We cannot do all of them. We'll die. Let's well, I mean, just pick the worst one. The Goblet worst of one fire. Goblet of Fire. Which one is Goblet of Fire? I don't hate Goblet of Fire. Everybody has great hair in that one. But, uh, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, we're going to split it in half. We would do through Goblet of Fire and then do the other one. That's fine. We can do that. Could we can do, do that. Half and half. Yep, so, I like it. Let's next, do that. Next week, one through four. But yeah, Harry Potter next week, first half. Uh, rewatch them because they're getting off HBO Max in like two weeks. I got them Blu-rays. I'm fine. You can do it. It's, it's yeah. true. Any self-respecting nerd should have it on Blu-ray, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's it for this week uh, thank you guys for listening please uh, like and subscribe and tell your friends about the podcast it's really the only way that, that we can uh, get new listeners if you want to follow us and tell us your indie pitches you can reach us at realphonies.gmail.com you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at realphonies and on Instagram at real underscore phonies thanks to Zach Evans for our and Brian Blasik for our theme we'll see you guys next week later <laughs>